Would you turn in your Bibles with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter number 20. 2 Kings chapter number 20. Again, I want to just, while you're turning there, I want to echo what Pastor Gaddy said and just welcome all of our guests. If you are a first time, a second time, third time, if you've been coming for the last few months, thanks for coming to New Life today. It does take some courage to get up and go try something new. And so we're thankful that you chose this morning to come to New Life. And again, if you've not been to Pastor's Chat and you like good food, come next door after service. Those are two requirements I think meet a lot of people in the room. So come join us over there for Pastor's Chat. We'd love to get to know you. We'd love to share a little bit about us. And we'd love to serve you a free, delicious meal. 2 Kings chapter number 20, beginning at verse number 12. I'm going to preach this morning on a bold word, but, I, but also a broad word, something that I feel like the Lord has given me to share with you. And I think the Lord's going to help us today. 2 Kings chapter number 20. I'll reference a lot of Bible stories here. We're going to read this, and I'm going to have Brother Garrett come up and pray over us as we begin to hear the word of the Lord. Verse 12, at the time of Barodach Baladan, now aren't you glad when your mom decided to give a middle name? Let's forget the first name. Let's go to the middle name. If she decided to not go with Barodach Baladan, you would not fit that on a driver's license. The son of Baladan, he came by it honestly. King of Babylon sent letters and present unto Hezekiah. For he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah hearkened unto them and showed them all the house of his precious things. The silver, the gold, the spices, the precious ointment, and all the house of his armor. And all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house nor in his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto King Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men, and from where did they come from? And Hezekiah said, Well, they're come from a far country, even from Babylon. And he said unto them, What have they seen in thy house? And Hezekiah said, All the things that are in my house have they seen. And there is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. And Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days days will come, that all that is in thy house and all that which thy fathers have laid up in the store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and there will be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And Hezekiah said, Good is the word which thou hast spoken. And he said, It's good is that peace and truth be in my days. I want to preach for a few moments on the most precious thing. The most precious thing. Brother Garrett, would you join me up here? I'm going to ask this young man to come pray in the microphone. Would you set your Bible down? And in exchange, as you set it down, would you lift up your hands and ask to be good soil for the Word of God to fall upon? God, I thank you that your Word does not return void, Lord. But I thank you that every time that the word begins to go forth, it is like a seed 
But yet it is a choice for us today, and I just speak it over this place today. God, as your word pierces in it, and it drives into the very depths of our heart, God, I pray let it begin to change. Let it begin to impact the minds and the hearts of every man and woman and child in this place to where when that seed is thrown forth, that, God, they grasp a hold of it. God, let them take it back into their homes. Let it go into their families. Let it change and affect wherever they step, God. God, I pray against any interferences or things that would try and disturb today. Lord, assert your will over the devils today. God, remove out any distraction or hindrance, Lord, that would try and tamper with the precious word of God. God, I thank you, Lord, your kingdom's going to advance. Your kingdom will be so, God. Nevertheless, not our will today, but thy kingdom come today in this house. Let this place be a destination where the miraculous is poured out. God, I pray that you bring your blueprints down and you begin to unravel them and that we begin to see things in the spirit, God. God, we are a spirit-led people. And God, I pray that we activate the very thing that is inside of us. That it comes to fruition, God. That whatever you sow, that shall you reap today. God, I pray for a multitude of needs. Whether it be physical, spiritual, or mental. You are the God of all needs. You are the God that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I could ask or think, God. And you will show yourself because you tell me in your word try me and see if I won't come through today I thank you Lord and I thank you for your word and expect what you're going to do in Jesus name in Jesus name thank you brother Garrett in Jesus name you may be seated the most precious thing if you were to open your Bible and you were to go to the book of Joshua which is one of the first few books of the Bible, you'd find the story of the Israelites entering into Canaan, the land that that was promised unto them. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, you would find that story. The book of Joshua can be divided essentially up into three sections. It can be in chapters 1 through 12, it's the conquest of Canaan. In chapters 13 through 22, you find the distribution of the land that they just conquered in chapters 1 through 12 to be divided up amongst the Israelite tribes. In chapters 23 and 24, you find Joshua's farewell address and his death. That essentially sums up the structure of the book of Joshua. It's the story of conquest and assimilation. The tribes have driven out most of the adversary and taken their territory that was promised to them. Now, they've got to learn how to occupy that territory. They've got to learn how to live there, worshiping the one true living God, while the Bible says, and while men warned them and said, you're going to be surrounded by the gods of the people. You're going to have to learn how to live in this land and worship the one true God at the same time being surrounded by many other so-called gods. It's really not much different than where we are today. It's really not much of a different idea than what we're surrounded with at the moment. We've got to learn how to worship the one true living God 
in the midst of a land surrounded on every side by so-called gods. We read stories of in the book of Joshua, victories and defeat. We find moments and leaders and battles that Israel would, would celebrate and remind each other of for hundreds of years, even to this day. Stories like Rahab and the spies, Israel crossing the Jordan, marching around the walls of Jericho. Anybody remember that story? The story of the sin of Achan and the fall of Ai, where in the book of Joshua, the sun stands still. A remarkable thing. Stories that demonstrate God's favor and faithfulness and power to His covenant people. Now they saw some amazing things in the book of Joshua. And yet, the story doesn't stop when Joshua ends. Time marches on. And a new generation rises up. That's after the one that has seen and experienced and witnessed all of these things. And as time marches on, you'll find something tragic that happens in the pages of Scripture. Judges chapter number 2, beginning at verse number 6. When Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being a hundred and ten years old. They buried him in the border of his inheritance in the Tamatharites and in the mountain of Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gosh. And, verse 10, also... All that generation were gathered under their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook, watch verse 12, the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the anger of the Lord. Now there's probably not much more of a tragic verse in the Bible found than when another generation rises up that does not know the Lord and does not know his great works. What a tragedy that is. That it did not get passed down to the next generation. An I want you to hear me. An entire generation of people did not know the Lord. An entire generation of people did not know about the works of the Lord. Now when I read that, and I see that sombering truth of what happened all those years ago. I can't help but think that that's a twofold problem. That lies on one generation to love this and to cleave to it and to seek it. But it also lies on another generation to share it and to pass it and to move it over to the next generation. I see in this story one generation has got to grab a hold of it and another generation has got to give it. So I rise on this Sunday morning to tell you, you live 
in a time period where we are surrounded by gods on every single side. We are encompassed with gods that would love your affection and your attention and your worship. We see gods on billboards. We see gods every time we open our phone. You are surrounded by other gods. But there is no other God like our God. There is no God formed by a man's hands that is like our God that you worship here on a Sunday morning. There's no God like him. There's no God able to save and deliver and work. There's no one like him. Come on, you got gods all around you right now. You ought to take time on a Sunday morning and say, there's no God like our God. There's no God like ours. I know that celebrity wants my worship, but there's no one that deserves my worship like he deserves my worship. There's no one like our God. There's no one. And it is my responsibility and privilege to worship him. It's my opportunity, the great privilege and opportunity that I have to worship the one true living God. But twofold in that problem is a responsibility that I have to pass that worship to another generation. Embedded in this, there's no one like our God. And I've got to pass that truth on to somebody. There's no one like him. And every generation in this room has a part to play in that. Let me be honest. Let me, let me be foretelling. Let me be right up front with you as I begin to preach this morning. We need every generation in this room. There is not an age group that is not important to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not age-based, it's not age-required, and it's not age-restrictive. Listen, in the Bible, we can have a woman be a, a mother for the first time in her 70s, and we can have a king that's eight years old. We need everybody. And the responsibility lies on us. The kingdom of God is in our hands to do something with it. Psalm 145 says this, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. His greatness, ladies and gentlemen, is unsearchable. Now that's the responsibility that I have to worship Him. But read the very next verse. And one generation shall praise thy works to another generation, and shall declare thy mighty acts. Then he makes it personal. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. I wonder when's the last time you just spoke about how good God was? When's the last time in a conversation you just stopped yourself and said, isn't God good? Let me tell you what God's done for me. Let me tell you how God's worked in my life. Let me tell you what path God made for you. Let me tell you about how he healed my body and he raised me up. Let me tell you this morning about the great works of our God. We ought to declare and speak the good things of God. I have a responsibility to praise him, but I also have to get this out to another generation. 
and let them rise up and know the Lord and hear the wonderful works that he has done. I do not want the gospel to end with me. But I want this passed on to another generation. Listen, the way that God has set this up. Now, if you were to ask me how I would set this up, how this passing and interchanging and moving, I probably would come up with some neat ideas or I'd probably come up with a couple of thoughts of, well, maybe one generation could do it this way and another generation could do it this way. If you left this process up to me, I probably would come up with something, well, this might be how it would work and how you might could do one generation to another generation to another generation. I, I, I might come up with an idea. You might come up with a better idea than me. But God's idea is the best idea. And the way God has established this thing to move forward is by the model of the church. There is nothing like the church. I thought I'd get a little more amen on that. In a church. I know it's not perfect. I know there are people that say things and do things that they should not do. But thank God for his plan to pass this on from one generation to another generation that cultivates leaders and gifts and the ability and the anointing of God. Thank God for his plan that's working right now in the earth. It's his church. And he, you ladies and gentlemen, you hear me. He will have a church. Whether we grab a hold of this or not, God will have a church. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to do everything I can to be a part of his plan, to be a part of what he's doing and his church for this hour. I want to be a part of his church. Now he describes this in many ways and many things he talks about. He describes the church as his bride. It's mentioned and, and some of us that, have, that are married or have been married, that, that analogy makes sense. We can see that. He describes it in many ways as the body. He'll describe the church as a body. And we know that those, those natural analogies have deep spiritual truths attached to them. But I also believe that in Scripture there bears out to us another type and shadow, another analogy, if you will, of the church and future generations. I'm going to share with you multiple stories that you'll see in the Bible that I believe demonstrate to us of a natural relationship that bears out spiritual truths. Because I believe in the Scriptures, it teaches us that the church is like a mother. And future generations are the children in that story. So you have a mother that comes onto the scene. And what they do and how they act and how they respond. That produces a child out from them. Which speaks to us of the future and generations to come. And people that will happen. And that type of analogy is bore out all through scripture. We see it repeated over and over again. And it speaks truths to us. That we've got to grab a hold of today as the, as, as the modern church. As the church in 2023, we've got to grab a hold of some things so that the future can live out like it's supposed to. So that this can be passed on from my generation to the next generation to the next generation. 
Because this has to live on beyond me. You see this bore out all through Scripture. Turn in your Bible with me to the book of Judges, chapter number 13. Beginning, verse number 1. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them in the hand of Philistines for 40 years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto them and said unto her, Behold, now thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing, for... Lo, thou shalt conceive. Remember, here's why you don't do that. For thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. And the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. This is the story of Samson. This is the beginning of Samson. You know the superhero that is in our Bible and does, does things that are just inexplicable. They're, they're, there's no way to describe picking up the gates of a city or slaying a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey. There's no way to describe all of the powerful, significant things that Samson does in the Bible. It's, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around the ability that Samson had. But let's read that story, the beginning of Samson, a little bit closer. Because if you were to look at the pages of scripture, it was the mom that would have to remain consecrated until Samson was born. And the only way Samson comes out to fulfill all the promise and all the potential and walk in the power is if the mom stays consecrated. And if that baby stays in that womb long enough just the right time, and that mother refrains from a few things that the Lord has asked her to refrain from, one day that deliverer of Israel is going to come out of her womb and the Spirit of the Lord is going to start to move on him and he's going to start to do supernatural things. You hear me this Sunday morning. The church, this generation, has got to remain consecrated for the next generation. Come on, their promise their potential, their power. You know where that stuff lies? It lies right here in my hands. It lies right there in your hands to remain consecrated and committed to the things of God so that they can walk in the power they've been given. You know why? That's why we don't, that's why we refrain from some things. The world thinks we're crazy. The world thinks we should just go on and live that way. Go there. Do that. It's okay. You don't understand. We're preserving a future. You don't understand. There's something powerful coming. And if I take a step right now, that thing may not happen through me. But I'm going to hold fast to the truth of God's word and decide in my heart there's a future that hinges on my actions today. There's a future that hinges on my consecration right here today. So I'll hold fast to this book. It's law in its way. 
Come on, somebody. You want to know why we say no to some things? It's because someday something's coming, and it needs to see my consecration today. Come on, my separation is bigger than me. My, the doctrine I hold, it's bigger than me. I remain holy, not just for myself. I have a responsibility to preserve the future. We have got to remain a consecrated generation. We have got to remain a generation that prays and fasts and cleaves to holiness. We've got promises on our life, and we cannot forfeit them today. There is a supernatural purpose that hinges on my obedience. There is a supernatural purpose. And you know what? It hinges on my actions today. And I want to see it fulfilled. I, I talked to somebody one time who walked away from this. They walked away from it. They decided that, that they didn't see eye to eye with some doctrinal things. They went their own direction. They decided to do their own things. And what they preach, what they, the church they attend, the things that they do, does not line up with the Word of God. And they have decided... That they would live this way. And I talked to him one day about this. And I probably even shared this story here before. But I talked to him about it one day. And, and I expressed my concern about it. And he told me about this. This was just the same. And these things were similar. And this was, it was like this. And, and, and he went down this, this list of this is why and I feel okay about it. This is it. He listed why. And, and you know what? You make some really good points. But you know what the reality is, sir? You have kids. And they don't have the same background that you have. You may have been brought up in different environments and heard those songs and listened to that preaching and have some type of foundation built into your life, but they don't have that like you have it. So when you sell it, they won't have it. Unless they go get it for themselves. So you hear me. There is a responsibility that lies on us. Not just for us. But so that the future can happen. We must be a consecrated generation. It's not the only mother in scripture that passes on lessons. If you turn to 1 Samuel chapter number 1. You'll find the story of Hannah. And all that she overcomes to give birth to Samuel. You'll find that she overcomes opinions. And she overcomes the problems and things that she personally has. And she gives birth to one of the greatest prophets in the Bible. Samuel comes because she didn't give up. So let me pause for a second and say now is way too soon to give up. There is no problem in the present worth selling for the potential of the future. No problem worth selling for the future. So she doesn't, she doesn't give up. And supernaturally, she gives birth to Samuel. She gives the Lord to Samuel. Now, I want you to imagine as a mom, I want you to imagine doing this. She comes and she takes that child after it's weaned, gives him and drops him off into the temple. 
Listen, if you read your Bible close enough, you know that's not a great environment. And she goes and she gives her child into the temple, into the priest, because God has told her to direct, give back what I've given to you. And so she does. The mother surrenders her son. But if you read 1 Samuel chapter number 2, you find an amazing thing that happens. That mom doesn't just let go. Because the Bible says, Garrett, let me borrow you, and, and Elijah, let me borrow you a second. Garrett, let me borrow your coat. Your coat looks way better than mine, that's why we're using it. Come here, Elijah. You're good, I, I'm done with you now. I just, I just got a new coat, it's a suit supply one, it's good. I did, thank you. The Bible says the mother of that supernatural baby, she would make a coat every single year. And once a year, she would show up to the temple with that coat and she would put it on that boy. I don't know how well it fit. I don't know what it looked like. I can imagine for that boy to see his mom only one day a year, there's probably a little heartache involved in that. There's probably a little question that's involved with that. But she comes every year and she puts a new coat on that boy. And I just imagine that when she's doing that, you know what she does? As she's putting that coat on, she's reminding him of where he came from. She's saying, I could not have kids. But then one day, the Lord heard my prayer. And that's why you're here in the temple right now, Samuel. That's the only reason you're here today. It's because the Lord looked down from heaven and he saw fit to bring you into this world, into the kingdom for such a time as this. And you've got a supernatural purpose that lies on your life. So every day, I'm gonna, every year, I'm going to come back to the temple and I'm going to remind you. I'm going to remind you of what God has done for you and what God has done for us. Ladies and gentlemen, we have got to be a generation that reminds ourselves and the next generation to come. We've got to be a reminding generation. Samuel, you hear me. The reason you're here is because the power of God brought you here. Come on, you need to open your mouth, mom and dad, and you need to tell those kids, the only reason you're here one day, son, you're going to walk in power. One day you're going to walk and see things that I never saw. One day you're going to witness things that I never got to witness. Come on, remind them, Dad. Remind them of the goodness of God. Remind them of the faithfulness of God, Mom. Speak that life over them. Put that coat on them every single time you can. We've got to be a reminding generation. We've got to be a generation that speaks the things that God has done. Here's what the psalmist said. Thank you, Elijah. Here's what the psalmist said. In Psalms, the book of Psalms, chapter number 78, I will open my mouth unto a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, because our fathers have told us, which we will not hide from their children. Come on, you got a choice what you're going to hide or not hide. And you need to make up in your mind, there are some things I refuse to hide from them. There are some things in this world they need to be hidden from. But there are other things they need to be exposed to. And they've got to hear the word of the Lord showing to the generation to come 
the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works which he has done. We have got to be a reminding generation that declares the working of God. I had a I had an interesting season a couple of months ago. And when I say this, when I explain this, I say it only because it was really unique and in part of part of my season in life. And there's no there's no boasting. I'm just this is part of the season of life. I a couple months back in the month of October I went to, I flew into Texas, and I, I was a part of a youth retreat. And at the youth retreat, there are people there that are they're 12 years old, and they're 16 years old, and then some are 20 years old, and some are 23-year-old. And so you want to talk about talking to a wide range of people. I mean, on one hand, some of them just came out of kids' ministry, and the other hand, some of them are about to go get married. You had a wide range of life happen in front of you. Well, on that youth retreat happens, and, and then the, the next, next day, I go to the local church and I preach to their congregation. And then that night, I get on a flight and I come home. And that next morning, I get up and I go to Redfield down to the campgrounds because they'd asked me to speak to the ministers that was there for their training session. So I went and spoke to the ministers. Now remember, in like... Like a 72-hour time span. We got 12-year-olds. We got 20-year-olds. We've got a church body. Now we've got ministers that are getting their local license. Not only coupled with all of that was the request. They said, hey, on Wednesday night at New Life, could you come in and could you teach the 8 to 11-year-old boys about holiness? Now, have you ever taught an eight-year-old? No, better, hold on, time out. Let me rephrase that question. Have you ever herded a cat? I got a, real, a big amen from a dad right there. You ever, you ever tried to do that? You ever tried to, like, get a bunch of kittens to listen and move forward? That's what it was like on Wednesday night. So... I laughed. Somebody, I was talking to a friend about that season. I laughed about it. I said, well, I just did, you know, I, I just spoke to students and then I spoke to adults and then I went to ministers and then I went to kids. I don't know who I am. <laughs> no idea what I'm doing. But this is what I feel like the Lord just kind of, I guess it's just my age and my season of life. Because right now where, where I'm at, and the reason I feel like I'm so passionate about preaching this, is because I've got one hand on the younger and another hand on the older. But ladies and gentlemen, the purpose is still the same. That they may know the Lord and know His great works. And that we would bring all of these generations together. And we would walk in unity declaring and reminding them of his power and his goodness and his great works. The example goes on in scripture. You could, I could stand up here and preach multiple examples. There's the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings chapter number 4 where she's not able to have kids and 
supernaturally, the prophet comes by and she makes a space for the prophet Elijah to stay. And she makes a space for him and he comes and he dwells and he asks, what are we going to do for you? And, and Gehazi says, well, she doesn't have a son. And so the Lord moves through Elisha and she gets a son and that son is born supernaturally. The next generation comes onto the scene. But you know what happens? That boy that was a supernatural promise, it dies. The Bible says that it, he, the boy goes out to the field and he's working with his dad in the field and the boy starts to say, my head, my head. And many people believe he died of an aneurysm in the field. So the mom comes along and this is what's so remarkable. It's the mom that shows up in the story and she goes and picks up the boy and she takes him back to the prophet's room and she lays the boy on the prophet's bed. Listen, there's something so powerful about that. She did not plan for a funeral. She planned for a resurrection. So let me pause right here and tell you, you need to stop planning some things like it's dead. And start planning some things like God's about to raise it up and do a new work. Do something powerful. You ought, to stop, you ought to stop believing that your child will never come back. They'll never be born. They'll never happen. And you ought to start saying, no, I'm preparing for something supernatural to take place. I'm preparing for God to raise up something and do it on his time and in his hand. But the mother took the boy, and she put him in the bed of the man, the prophet, the man of God. She took him and put him back in an environment of the supernatural. The mother did that. The mother said, I know something supernatural can happen, so I'm going to take this child, this future, and I'm going to usher them back into a supernatural environment. Ladies and gentlemen, we must be a generation that values and pursues supernatural environments. We are a church that believes in the supernatural. You want to know why we get so excited and we preach like we preach? You want to know why we get excited in our worship? Because we are believing that God can do anything. Let me say that again. We believe God can do anything. We believe God can do anything. And I do not want to trade off this worship, this faith, this demonstration. I don't want to trade it off because I want the next generation to believe that God can do anything. I want to help cultivate an environment at New Life Church of prayer and fasting and consecration that opens the door for the supernatural so that the next generation can believe and their kids can believe and the next generation can believe that God can do anything. Come on, we value the supernatural. We value the power of God working in our services, working in our homes. We value... We pursue it. We believe it when we gather together. And we won't trade it in for a new church trend. 
You know what? There was this thing that came up. There was this thing that came up probably a couple decades ago, several decades ago now. And it was this, inside of churches, there was this strong feeling of you had to create environments and places that were seeker-friendly. And that was just a word that leaders used to describe the church. And they would come up with ways that would make it comfortable for anybody to come. Now, our goal is not to make you uncomfortable. Like we don't sit around in a meeting and say, yeah, that would be awkward. Let's do it. That'll, we'll make sure they never come back. I don't think that sentence has ever been uttered. Not one time. However, I'm going to be real honest and transparent with you. Our goal is not seeker-friendlyism. Our mission is not just to do everything we can to get people in the door. Which, again, I realize how controversial of a statement that sounds. Uh, that's not the mission of the church. We exist to believe that God can change a life. That God can do anything that he wants to do. And we present ourselves as a living sacrifice for him to do that. And on Sunday mornings, we want to create an atmosphere for the supernatural to happen. And if that means we dance a little bit, that means we dance a little bit. If that means we obey the word of God and give him praise with our hands lifted and our voice raised and shouting with the voice of triumph, then that means we create an atmosphere that the supernatural can be at work in our midst. And we're not going to trade it in. Because we value it. And we believe that God can do anything. Now there's one, one more story, and I'm going to get to my text, but there's one more story that I want to point you to. It's not in the Old Testament. It was in the New Testament. The value and the purpose of a mom. Something. Now when I read this to you in a moment, I'm going to be honest with you as I try to be. You ever had anybody come up to the pulpit and say, I'm not going to be honest with you. That was one of those things that I just said it, and I'm like, you know what, you say that a lot. And then I thought, are you ever going to be dishonest with them? Don't do that. Okay, I vented. We're good. Luke 7. This week I read this passage in my Bible, and I want you to see it in your Bible. And I don't know if you've ever had these moments where it's like the Lord just, He just moves on you. You see something in Scripture, and you can't shake it in your prayer. And you can't shake it in your thinking. And it just, it just follows you along where you go. And this passage really did that to me this week. And it came to pass, verse number 11. The day after that he went to a city called Nan. And many of the disciples went with him. And much people were there. And he came nigh to the gate of the city. And behold, there was a dead man carried out. The only son of his mother. She was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said unto her, weep not. And he came and he touched the buyer. And they that bare him stood still. And he said, young man. Which I think is so important. Young man, I say unto thee, arise. And watch this verse of scripture. And he that was dead sat up. And he began to speak, and he delivered him 
to his mother. So that which was dead by just the touch of Jesus comes back to life. Supernaturally, that son that had no breath in his body with one touch, he now has breath in his body. Not only does he have breath in his body, but the Bible says when he sets up, he speaks. So what this says, what this shows us, supernaturally God raises him from the dead. The supernatural act brought forth, brought the supernatural ability brought forth a natural ability. Because when that boy got raised to life, he couldn't help but speak. When that boy got brought to life, he couldn't help but some, something come out of his mouth and he speak. Now, we don't know what he said, but the supernatural came with the natural. And I'm going to tell you what the Lord spoke and dealt with me about this week. And what I feel like is a word for not only our church, but a broad word. I feel like in this hour, God is going to begin to raise up a new generation. I believe with all my heart, God is going to begin to do supernatural things on a people that were dead. But God looks at them in their natural ability and says, I need them for the kingdom, for the harvest, for the time, for right now. So he is going to raise up a new generation and give people that we may not even thought ever darkened our doors. He's going to fill them with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He's going to let them be baptized in Jesus' name. He's going to take what was dead and bring it to life in this hour. Now listen, I felt that so Strong. You see it. Asbury, other places. Pastor, God is pouring out his spirit right now. God is doing a supernatural act. Listen, that verse doesn't end with the boy speaking. The Bible says that Jesus took him and delivered him back to his mom. So this is what I, I came to preach. We must remain a generation connected to a local church. Listen, I know God's going to do supernatural things out there. I believe with all of my heart He's going to pour out His Spirit in cities and college campuses and high schools. He's getting ready to do something to take what was dead and bring it back to life. He's going to do something and He's going to let their natural abilities shine through how the man got up and spoke His voice. But it is not complete until they come back to a local body, a church, to the mother. That will help complete the process in their life. So you hear me. We have got to be a generation that stays connected to a local church. We need the mother. We need this. I'm going to say it one more time. We need this. Forsake not the assembling of yourself together, even so much as more you see the day approaching. We don't need to scatter, but Jesus showed us I can do something supernatural, but I also got to put it back in its proper place. You know the one that nurtured him and brought him up, the one that knows the story that knows him and can help him and help him navigate, I'm going to deliver him back to his mom. Ladies and gentlemen, when they get filled with his spirit, they're going to need a body to come to. They're going to need an assembly to gather with. 
They're going to need discipleship mentors and leaders and people. They're going to need that. And I want to be available for that. I want to be here for it. I want to be a part. We've got to be a generation that stays connected to the local church. The story I read with, and it's towards the end of my message today, the story that I read to you to begin is the story of Hezekiah at the end of his life. Hezekiah got sick. And the Bible says he was sick unto death. But he got a little worried that he was going to die and he came to the Lord and presented his problem and the Lord gave him an additional 15 years of life. And inside of this story, when, when Babylon hears that Hezekiah is sick, they send gifts and they send an envoy and they come. Really, not because they care about Hezekiah, but it's really because if you read the story in the context, they want a political ally against Syria. That's really why they came to him. That's really why they presented him the gifts and the things and they came to see and to hear. So they're here. They show up. They show up with motives. Ladies and gentlemen, let me, let me stop here in a moment and tell you, Babylon is not your friend. I don't care how they present themselves or what type of thing it shows you in the world. The world... Babylon is not your friend. They do not have pure intentions. There is an ulterior motive attached to the world. Babylon is not your friend. And hear me. The Bible says in James, whoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy to God. So do not attach yourself to something that God calls an enemy. Babylon is not your friend. So Hezekiah then says, oh, welcome to all that I have. And he opens the door to his house. And he begins to show all these Babylonians, he begins to show them, look at these precious spices that I have. The Bible says he calls it precious things. Look at all these precious things. Look at the silver that's been collected over generations. Look right over here. Mr. Look over here. Look at this gold that I had that we've compiled. Can you believe that? Look at what we have. He comes over, he comes over here to the armory and he says, look at all of this armor that we have collected over the course of our generations. Can you, can you see this? Look at all that we have. Look at this. We've, we've compiled it over the course of, of decades. All of this stuff, all of these things. He shows it to all of them. And Babylon's over there, the rulers from Babylon, this, this envoy, they see it and they're like, oh, okay. Oh, gold. That's pretty neat. Okay. Armor. That's pretty useful if you ask me. We'll write that down. They take note of what happens and what all that they have. The Bible says when they leave... You know who shows up? The prophet. The prophet walks in and says, who were they and where did they come from? I'm going to pause right here. You need to ask yourself sometimes that question. What is it and where did that thing come from? You need to find out because listen, the source of some things 
that source of media, that source of some things you're putting into your spirit, you ought to be very careful what you open yourself up to. You need to be really careful what you present and say, oh, look at what I have. You ought to be very careful what you open yourself up to. So look at all this. Look at what I have. And Isaiah, Isaiah says, you better hear what the word of the Lord says. There's going to come a day. Babylon's going to show back up. And they're going to take all of it. They're going to take every last bit of it. They'll come, they'll take your armor. They'll take your spices. They'll take your silver. They'll take your gold. They'll take all of those precious things. Ladies and gentlemen, they're not going to stop there. Because the Bible says that Isaiah says, and also they're going to take your sons and they're going to make them eunuchs in Babylon. He's not just stopping with your things. But he's coming, ladies and gentlemen, for your most precious thing. Hezekiah stopped and said, look at all these precious things that I have. And he failed to realize the most precious thing he had was his future. He failed to realize that the legacy, the future, the next generation. Babylon didn't want his stuff. It wanted his children. And I know this is a strong word. And I know this is not normal preaching for a Sunday. But you hear me because it's been in my spirit for the last several weeks. Babylon is not our friend. It has motives and agenda far beyond this day. But Babylon is looking for another day and a future day. And it wants to rob us. Of our future. Hezekiah looks at him and says, you just spoke a good word. Because that's not, because peace and truth will be in my day. Hezekiah failed to realize, but there's coming another day. And there won't be peace and truth in that day. So I don't want to look at, listen, I am, I, I, I mean no slight by this. And I mean no negativity by this. I'm so thankful for this building. And I'm so thankful for the beautiful nature of what was constructed here. And I'm thankful for our programs. And I'm thankful for all the things that facilitated new life. I'm thankful for it. I genuinely am. And I could go probably without saying that. But the thing I value the most is that this church has a future. Is that this thing outlives me. And it outlives us. And it carries on to the next generation. I want my family blessed. I want my family walking in truth. I want my family to hold tight to this. I want to value the next generation, the long term. If you are, if you are under the age of 21, would you stand? If you are 21 and under, would you stand? Can you, take a, can, you, can you just take a look around for a second? Come on, let this settle into your spirit for a second. They're going to have families one day. They're going to have children one day. They're going to carry this on one day. So it's our responsibility to live right now so that they can carry this on one day. There will be people sitting here that I've never met nor will I ever meet that will come from their generation. But you hear me. 
Their day is just as important as my day. I want you to remain standing with me. For, for those that are there, remain standing with me. Everybody else, hold on one second. I want to point something out in Scripture. There are two instances that I know of where people like them were purposefully and violently attacked. Athaliah comes and kills all of her grandchildren. I didn't stutter. I didn't misquote. She kills all of her grandchildren. Everybody under a certain age of the royal seed, the Bible says, she kills them all. And then when Jesus is born, Herod gets upset because he hears that another king has been born. So the Bible says that he goes and he kills everyone under the age of two. Now why does that genocide happen? Why do you do that? Why would you kill off a younger generation? You know why? Strictly because of their potential. Because one day, if that child grows up, they will be a king. And one day, Athaliah, if you're successful, one day, if you're not successful, excuse me, one day, there's going to be a child come up and he's going to take your place and remove you out of the throne. Herod, one day you're going to die off. But let me tell you something. You can't kill Jesus. His time hasn't come yet. The reason the attack that's been on this generation right here is so strong is because the potential is so great. You want to know why their gender identity gets attacked? You want to know why suicide is on the rise and mental angst? You want to know why they battle all the things? They live in a world that I didn't really grow up in. It's totally different than how I grew up. You want to know why they're attacked like they're attacked? It's because they have potential. And the enemy sees it. And he wants to stop it now before it grows up and becomes the next generation. But I rise to tell you, we're going to preserve a generation to rise up and know the Lord and know about his great works. We're going to let another generation step onto the scene and see his kingdom come. Come on, church, hear me. The future rests in our hands. This is our most precious thing. And we will preserve it and fight for it and believe it that God will do supernatural things through them. Can you lift your hands? Stand with me and lift your hands in the sanctuary this morning. Come on, it didn't work then, and it won't work now. God is going to raise up a generation that will declare His mighty works. I believe every generation in this church is vital. Every one of you. Every generation, whether you're a parent or you're not, whether you're a grandparent or you're not, no matter your age, you have a purpose. You have a value. You have something to give in this kingdom right now. So what I preach to you this morning is our most precious thing is to make sure that this lives on. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do. And this is a little bit different. It's going to take a second to do this. And I'm okay with it. This is what I felt led in prayer to have us do as we close this service, as we pray. I want you to pray 
with someone from another generation. It would be easy for you to go to a peer. It would be easy for you to go to somebody like your spouse. But I wish you would go find somebody a little older or a little younger. And I wish you would go over there and let something transfer in a moment of prayer. Because I believe, I've prayed this, this is my prayer. I prayed that we would leave here more unified than we've ever been as a church. Where we look across the room and we don't see competing generations, no. We see one mission, one purpose, and our most precious thing is to see this continue on. So would you do that with me for a moment? Would you step out of your comfort zone and would you link up with somebody from a different generation? Oh, I feel the Spirit of the Lord drawing and working. I feel it beginning to sweep across here if you'll let go, if you'll, if you'll step into it. You don't know who you're praying with. You may not know what their future holds. You may not know everything that God wants to speak and do through them. But I wish you'd pray like the future depends on it. I wish you'd value the most precious thing. Come on, elder, lay your hand on them and anoint them. Come on, young person, let some strength be transferred right now. Come on, that's it, pray. Let something shift and move. That's it, lay your hands on them. 